just been really impressed with what I've heard from Craig Council from day one. I've, I've known him a little bit, you know, with his time with the Brewers. Um, but but the, the way he handled his introductory press conference, the way he handled things at the Cubs convention, he's very thoughtful. He's very smart. But he said, if, if you're hiring me to handle the bullpen, I, I'm not your guy. I mean, a lot of people can handle the bullpen. Uh, for him, it's all about managing people um, and, and putting players in the, in, the, in the best position to win. Setup Nation, this is a extremely exciting episode for me. We have Jim Deshays, the color commentator for the Chicago Cubs. Uh, JD, thanks so much for being on, man. You're you're going into year number 12. Does it feel like it's been that long? Yeah, well, first off, Kyle, uh, good to be with you. Thanks for having me on. It's gone really fast. It's uh, yeah. it's, it's it's amazing that uh, I've been here as long as I have. Uh, <clears throat> I've worked uh, in the booth in Houston for 16 years, and um, you know, I'm, I'm heading towards that here, here with the Cubs. It's been an absolute uh, joy, um, but it has gone really fast. Awesome. Well, hey, I, I want to start with a real quick fun fact. I don't know if people know this, but you were the thousandth player to put on a New York Yankees uniform. That's pretty cool. Did they, I, I kind of picture like someone walking in and being the 10,000 10, shopper like at Costco and getting that big check. Did they give you any sort of big check or anything? <laughs> no big check, no balloons, no confetti. No. Uh, I, I'm not even sure that anybody was aware of it uh, at the time. Yeah. Um, I think it was some time after that that I became aware of it. You know, somebody, somebody mentioned it to me somewhere along the line, probably after I'd been traded away from the Yankees. I don't, I don't think it was uh, anybody made a note of it at the time. Cool. Well, hey, uh, I want to get into the Cubs offseason here. Before we kind of start diving into the offseason and, you know, a lot of fans are like, why is everything going so slow? I do want to rewind just for a week here. Cubs con, um, big turnout, a lot of fun. But what were some of the key takeaways that you had in listening to Craig Council, Jed Hoyer, Carter Hawkins? What were some things that you heard that you're you want to maybe talk about? Yeah, I, I've just, you know, I've just been really impressed with what I've heard from Craig Council from day one. I've, I've known him a little bit, you know, with his time with the Brewers. Um, but but the, the way he handled his introductory press conference, the way he handled things at the Cubs convention, he's very thoughtful. He's very smart. Um, you know, he just he seems to say all the right things. Um, he's, he's really plugged in um, to the people side of it. You know, the, the fact I, I can't remember the direct quote, <clears throat> excuse me, that he had with uh with Jed when he was interviewing, but he said, if, if you're hiring me to handle the bullpen, I, I'm not your guy. I mean, a lot of people can handle the bullpen. Uh, for him, it's all about managing people um, and, and putting players in the, in, the, in the best position to win and just, you know, making making it um, comfortable, for lack of a better word, uh, for players when they come to the ballpark every day. I, I just think he's going to be a wonderful fit. Um, and, you know, I, I, Jed has said repeatedly that they're only in, what, fourth or fifth inning in their off season. So I take him at his word that there's more to come. I think it's just been kind of a slow grind this off season all around the industry. Um, but I'm, I'm anxious. I'm looking forward to this year. I think it's going to be a very interesting club. One of the things that Craig also said in that session, right. Was uh, he was asked by either a player or by someone, what do you expect of me going into my MLB debut? And while it felt like, you know, oh, I expect you to show up on time, I expect you to do X, Y, and Z. He said, I expect you to be nervous. And did, did you catch that? Like, Yeah. yeah, yeah. That he understands the human part of it. 
Yeah. Um, go back to your debut. How, like, do you remember what was said to you and like, how would that have hit you yeah. as, as a new player? Yeah. If, um, if you can go back that far. Yeah. I, I was first called up to the big leagues in 1984 in August uh, with the Yankees. Yogi Berra was the manager. It was a star studded team. Um, I, you know, typically what happens is you get called into the manager's office and you're, you know, here's what we expect of you. You know, we're going to use you out of the bullpen. You're going to start Tuesday, whatever it is. I don't remember that ever happening. Um, and I made two starts and got sent back down. And I didn't get back to the big leagues until the following September in 85 when Billy Martin was the manager. Mm. And I know for sure Billy didn't um, bring me into his office. Um, <clears throat> the only reason I know that Billy knew I existed is uh, the Yankees at the time were in a pennant race with the Blue Jays. The Mets across town were in a race with the uh, Cardinals in the NL East. And um, somebody asked Billy about the potential of a, a subway series. And he scoffed and said, uh, yeah, well, the Mets have Gooden. And all I got is Deshaies and, and Mike Armstrong. Because Army and I, Mike and I had just been called up from AAA. So that was the quote in the paper. That was the first time that I knew that Billy even knew I existed, that, <laughs> that I'd shown up uh, with the big club. Uh, so anyway, it, was, it was a different time. And it was a... It was, you know, the whole Bronx Zoo. It was kind of crazy there in New York at the time. Um, so, the, but, the, and it, the, you know, Craig's comments take me back a little bit to Joe Madden, right? When mm -hmm. Joe used to, when a new player would come in, Joe would come, come in his office and his line was always, hey, just try not to suck. So <laughs> basically just trying to put the player at ease, you know, no right. heavy expectations, be yourself, go play, have fun. Uh, I know this isn't easy. Uh, and council gets it as Joe did. Were you surprised at, how much personality council had? Um, you know, he's, he's always had this, when you see him from afar, he's kind of, yeah. you know, you can see the, the mind working. You see him grinding in the dugout, a very thoughtful, right. um, but not really surprised. You know, you know, Boog knows him really well. Mm -hmm. Boog obviously has that connection for years with, with Craig from their time in, in Miami together. So Boog has told me a lot about Craig. Uh, other people with the Brewers has told me has told me a lot about Craig over the years. They're broadcasters, other people uh, that I've run across uh, in Milwaukee. Um, so not really surprised, uh, but but I, I think maybe the fans are right. I think the fans probably didn't know that there was that much personality there. I don't you know, he's not going to be, um, I don't, you know, I don't think he's going to be Rossi. Um, he's yeah. not going to be Joe. Um but, but he is, he, I think he's going to be a lot of fun to work with. So you mentioned that Jed said we're in the fourth or the fifth inning of the offseason. I mean, you know, we don't want to compare, but at the same time, last season, at this point, there was like three guys on the free agency market. Now there's like 45 plus that you could see are of that mid or upper tier kind of free agent uh, status. And I'm just wondering what, from your perspective, what's up with this offseason? Why is it moving so slow? Yeah, I, I don't, I don't know the answer to that, Kyle. Um, you know, um, a number of the headline guys are represented by Scott Boris. Scott has a reputation of, of waiting. Um, you know, the, the problem we have in baseball is, you know, right after the season ends, there's the general manager meetings, and then in early December there's the winter meetings, and that creates a lot of uh, what people perceive to be, uh, you know, momentum towards uh, all these deals are going to get done because they've had their meetings, they've had their conversations. Um, but, it, you know, it never seems to pan out that way uh, until the big guys at the top of the market move. Everybody else is kind of keeping their powder dry and waiting to see. Um, so, and there's no, you know, without an artificial deadline that says if players aren't signed by this date, 
then they can't be signed. I don't think it's going to, I don't think it's going to change a whole lot. And it'll vary from one off season to the next for whatever reason. I don't know. Um, but, but I think this is going to become more the norm. Um, you know, unless a player's really anxious and tells his agent, look, I, you know, I want to be signed by Christmas day or I, my family, we need to know where we're going by new year's. Mm-hmm. I think agents are of a mind to say, as long as we have multiple people out there that are interested in our guy, um, I'm not doing my due diligence if I don't wait and hold out for the best possible offer. So it's that they have to walk that fine line of, you know, we're, we're holding out for the best possible offer, but all of a sudden if, you know, this team that we thought we might have a deal with moves in a different direction, now we've lost a potential partner that creates some issues potentially for the player. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think that I don't see it changing unless there, there's a rules change that, that imposes some kind of a deadline. Would you like to see that? I think it would be good for the game. I think I think if at the winter meetings or shortly thereafter there was a flurry of activity, I think it would be uh, it'd be a lot of fun for the fans. Um, it would be interesting for me. I'd let you know. But but in terms of you know the overall product of baseball, uh, it, it doesn't matter a whole lot. Sooner or later, these guys are going to find a team, and it's going to be a headline when they do. And and somebody's club is going to be uh, greatly impacted. Yeah, I mean, talking about what Jed said once again at CubsCon, he said, you know, as humans, by nature, we wait until deadlines happen. And with Imanaga, right, they signed him basically 12 hours before the deadline. He said, had it been two, three weeks out, it probably would have waited, you know, Imanaga probably would have waited until then to actually sign on the dotted line too. So I just start to wonder about this from more of the, like, teammates and coaches and front office and especially the players that maybe aren't the Blake Snells and the Jordan Montgomery's who are a little bit more in like the lingo of like, am I going to sign somewhere? Where, where am I going to live? Who are my teammates? Who are my coaches? I want to start developing relationships with them before spring training. Am I over, I've never been a player right in the MLB. So am am I overthinking that? Is that a thing? Um, Well, I think that if if there are players who, um, are worried about getting a major league job. That, that certainly is a concern. And, and you know, if I'm, I'm if I'm a bubble guy, and and the best I'm going to do is a you know a minor league contract with an invite to camp, um, I'm telling my agent I want to you know I want I want something locked in as soon as possible. Um, but but yeah, I think there's you know guys that sign February 10th. You know, they're still, they're still going to have a full spring training uh, six weeks in Arizona or Florida to get to know their teammates and, uh, you know, to, to get assimilated into, into a new club. So I, I don't think it's a real issue. And we've even seen guys sign in during spring training and, um, you know, it, it works out fine. Awesome. As a Cubs fan looking at this off season, is there any reason to be worried right now? Um, no, I, I wouldn't say worried necessarily. I, I think um, the expectation is that more is coming, that the Cubs are going to do more. Um, if they don't, you know, that, that's going to be a little bit of a disappointment. Um, Bellinger obviously is, is, is still the guy that everybody's, you know, seems to be focused on. Um, you know, I, I when he left at the end of the season, I, I thought I was, I was worried he was going to go to the Yankees mm. when, uh, when they, uh, acquired Soto, they kind of took New York out of the, out of the picture. And I thought, well, there's a far greater chance that he's going to come back to the Cubs now. That's just, just me, um, you know, ruminating on it. Um, so I still think, you know, I, I think the Cubs are the odds-on favorite to get him. Uh, I don't have any inside information, 
uh, that tells me that. I, I just, you know, he liked it here. He's a great fit here. Um, you know, the, the numbers obviously have to be right um, for the player and for the club. Um, but th that obviously, would, for me, it, you know, if you, you get Bellinger, um, Imanaga, you know, some of the other things they've done, um, that would be, that would be, and I, they need a little help in the bullpen too, but that, that would be a good offseason. Let's pretend for a second that does happen. It, it has been very interesting, as you mentioned, to watch the development of the offseason. And it seemed like when the last game of the season, Cubs wrap things up. I, I was under the same impression. I didn't think Bellinger was coming back, but now as things have progressed with the Giants, the Mariners, the Blue Jays, the Yankees, it seems like the odds on favorite. So let's just assume for a second that the Cubs do get Bellinger, right? You mentioned Imanaga, mentioned Michael Bush, and maybe a couple bullpen guys. Some people out there are saying, well, that's basically the same team we had last year. You know, they replaced Stroman, they brought Bellinger back, and now we have another question mark at first base. So this team is destined to be an 83-win team again. Um, I want to know what you think about that. Do you think this team, based on new management, based on an, an understanding of the identity, goes into this season maybe a little bit of 88 to 90 wins from your perspective, or do you think they're still at that 83 one mark? Uh, I would say 83 to 88 win team, you know, but yeah. based on that, on that roster that you're, you're talking about projecting um, um, because I think last year's team upside wise could have been an 88 win team. So even if you're saying it's basically the same team, um, you know, a few things break your way, people stay healthy. Um, you know, anytime you anytime you win a championship in, in our sport, in any sport, I guess, you get, um, you know, contributions from people that maybe you didn't expect. And whether it's a, a guy currently on your roster that ends up having a big year or it's somebody that comes up from the minor leagues um, and figures it out and, and uh, provides a real spark or it's a midseason trade. You know, I, I think you can turn uh, what you see as a, what you project as an 82, 83 win team. You can turn it into an 88 to 90 win team, you know, maybe with a shrewd move or two or, you know, somebody stepping up and, and having a really big year. Conversely, uh, guys could could struggle and have an off year. And all of a sudden that team that you thought might win 84 wins 77, 78 games. Uh, the good news is the Cubs are in a division that there is no super team. Um, so uh, I think it's going to be a very intriguing division this year. Uh, I'm really um Anxious to see Imanaga do his thing. I think he could be obviously a real difference maker. And then some of those kids in the minor leagues, whether it's Pete Carl Armstrong or Ben Brown, or Kate Horton, any of the young arms they have, um, uh, have the chance to be make a serious impact as well. Before we get into the pitching, because that's one of the major things I want to talk to you being a former pitcher about. We had a great question from Michael on YouTube. And hey, guys, Setup Nation, if you're listening right now and you're like, wait, how do I submit my questions? Make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you're checking out our content because I'm always posting on Instagram, Facebook, our community, Twitter, and you have an opportunity to ask our guest questions. As well. But Michael asked, if you were in Jed's position and Tom said, I got an open checkbook, Jim. Which free agents right now on the market would you go after that you think would be the best fit for the Cubs? Um, well, Bellinger um, <laughs> would be one. Um, for sure. Jordan, Jordan Montgomery. Um, okay. I would definitely kick the tires on Jordan Montgomery. What do you uh, like about him over if, if I've got, if I've got, if I've got an open checkbook, yeah. I'm talking to everybody, right? I'm, <laughs> uh, I'm calling Blake Snell, and, you know. Um, you know, because I mean, that's the thing, right? Even if you feel comfortable about your roster 
uh, you like your depth at this position or whether it's bullpen starting pitching position player depth uh, you're just looking to improve incrementally mm-hmm. um you know so if 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 you have a you know uh, a blank check then you can go out and you know maybe overspend to acquire a guy or two um the question going forward then is if you end up signing a player if it ends up being a bad contract do you have the financial commitment right to double down to say all right we we spent a whole bunch of money on this guy didn't pan out but we got to do it again because this is our window um so i guess that would be the question is it a blank check this year or is it a blank check this year and next year and then the following year uh but i'd be i'd be in on all those guys Hey, Setup Nation, I'm taking a quick break to ask you a favor. I know it's annoying when an ad pops up right in the middle of an interview or a podcast, but hear me out. This show is an absolute passion for me, but I don't just do it for me. I do it for you too, and that's why I want to hear from you. Please either A, leave a review with your favorite part of this show, or B, please email me your feedback. My goal is to make this show as solid as possible, so I want to give you the content that you are craving. You can send that email to kyle at setupman.net. Again, that's kyle at setupman.net. Thanks so much for the support. Now let's get back to the show. Is there a certain, especially with Hater now being gone, is there a certain bullpen arm out there that you think would fit in nicely? Uh, you know, I don't, I don't have a, a, a group, a list in front of me. I know uh, Stevenson's gone. Yeah. Um, yeah, who's that? Give me a multiple I, choice. I really like Naris uh, with the Astros. Yeah. 70-plus yeah. games under two ERA each of the last three years. I Good against lefties. Yeah. yeah, good against lefties. The, the thing uh, about bullpens, and, and you know, last year, uh, David Robertson's available too. Um, yep. And I don't know how healthy David is. I, I don't know what kind of year he had last year, but he was good with us when we had him. He's had a really good career. So I would definitely, um, you know, talk about David Robertson. Um, bullpens are weird from, from one year to the next, you know, they're, they're hard to project. Um, so I'm, I'm a big believer and you gotta be really careful throwing a lot of money at, at bullpen arms. I, yeah. I think you can look at, look at the job Mark Leiter uh, did last year. Uh, Julian Merriweather, you talk about bang for the buck. Oh, yeah. And I think oh, the Cubs yeah. have been really good at, at building bullpens, uh, with that approach. Uh, they just had some bad luck last year with Fulmer being hurt as much as he was hurt. Um, there were a couple other guys out there. They didn't get contributions from, uh, because of injury. So, um, you know, we always kind of focus on, you know, we need to add a big arm to the back end of the bullpen. Maybe, you know, maybe not, maybe it comes internally. So what, when you talk about a big arm at the back of the bullpen, Alzali last year, right? He, another one, like a lighter and a Merriweather that just really emerged and you got a huge bang for the buck for him. 20 saves in a row. Do you think that small sample size translates into 2024 and beyond, or do you see him being more of a seventh, eighth inning guy in the future? Yeah, I know. I, I just, um, I, I'm, I don't know if I'm a contrarian on this one. Um, and, and I don't know where Craig Council stands. Uh, obviously, you know, he had, he was blessed over there in Milwaukee to have uh, a group of relievers, Hader and Williams and others that he could rely on. I just want, I just want guys that can pitch high leverage situations whether it's the seventh, the eighth, or the ninth, I want to have multiple options in those situations. Now, if you end up settling on Alzali being your ninth inning guy, I'm fine with that. Uh, but I want other. I want Plan B and Plan C in case he struggles or gets hurt. Uh, I just think you need multiple guys that can pitch leverage situations. Um, but I, I, I believe in Alzali. I mean, uh, you know, he's had a, had a little bit of an issue against left-handed hitters in the past, but uh, stuff-wise, um, makeup-wise, and mentality. Um, 
you know, everything about him uh, leads me to believe whether it's the seventh, eighth or ninth, that he's going to do a credible job for you out there. So, you know, David Ross, for whatever reason, whether it's just his strategy or lack of defined options really seemed the last two years to be kind of bullpen by committee. Uh, like you mentioned, Craig council had those guys. He had the haters. He had the Williams. It was kind of clear who the closer was. Do you think council comes in and says, I'm going to probably take more of a bullpen by committee? Or do you think based on what you've seen of him so far that he's more of a, I want to give guys defined roles so that they're clear on what their, their role in the team is. You know, I think he's one of those guys that when asked about pitchers, he's always said, I just want out getters, mm. whether they're starters, relievers, you know, um, I think at times managers get, get their hand gets forced a little bit um, to appease players like, you know, because it becomes a crutch, I think, sometimes for the player to be able to say, you know, I need to know what my role is. So if I failed, I can blame it on the manager if I wasn't used in, in this particular role. Uh, but that's real. If the player believes it, then the manager has to kind of work with that, right? So even if he feels like, you know, I'd be comfortable with a bullpen by committee, if I'm going to have a mutiny on my hands, if I don't use these defined roles, I'm probably better off saying, you know, you're going to work the seventh, you're going to work the eighth, you're going to work the ninth. Sometimes it'll change, but that will be, uh, I, I don't know that he has a preference. I, I think he's going to be really good at asking questions. I'm sure he's had plenty of conversations with Tommy Hadovy, um and and with Jed and Carter um, as they kind of map this out going forward as to, you know, what the bullpen's going to look like. Um, so I, I can't tell you what his thinking is right now, whether he's going into spring training with the idea that Albert Alzali is going to be his closer or if he's going to use multiple options out there. So whether they end up getting a guy from the free agent market or make a trade, you know, there are some guys that came up last year and are still yet to come up that have some exciting stuff, right? You had Palencia flash a little bit from time to time last year. I was really impressed by Luke Little in the very small sample size we had, but then a guy like Ben Brown, you know, who's, who is, to you in your mind, what you've seen or what you've heard going to be a guy that maybe surprises people and ends up being a high leverage guy out of the bullpen as a rookie next year. Yeah. Well, um, and little will certainly get a consideration, I think, uh, with what he showed this year. And that's the funny thing. We talk about bullpens being un unpredictable from one year to the next. How many Cub fans knew who Luke Little was before right. last season? Man, how many broadcasters knew who Luke Little was before <laughs> last season? Man, he came out of nowhere. Um, we knew about Brendan Little. Yes, exactly. When yeah. we're calling up Little, like, oh, Brendan Little. No, no, different guy. Um, so, you know, you immediately go to the computer and like, who is this dude? Yep. Uh, and he was really impressive. Um, a, a, a Brown, Ben Brown's a guy that has been on my radar now since they acquired him from the Phillies. Um, uh, I've got a, a good buddy of mine that, that works in their front office, scouts for them. And when we made the deal, um, he said, you got the right one. He, you know, he goes, yeah, I hated to see him go. Uh, he's got great stuff. Um, I think ultimately he's probably going to be a starter, but uh, you could see him um, being a bullpen guy first and, and maybe a, a leverage guy. Had, um, some command issues last year, um, I think, that uh, he hadn't experienced in the past. But uh, stuff-wise, uh, from what I hear, it's it's, it's really, really good. Um, so, yeah, keep a close watch on him. I, I suspect he's going to make an impact. Maybe that Justin Steele treatment come in, maybe one or two innings, lower leverage, bring him up to higher leverage, and then maybe the next season kind of a starter role. I, 
I've heard other people talking about that. It feels like that would be a good fit, especially where, where the holes are on this team right now. So let's transition over to the starting rotation right now. Um, opening day starter, I think is pretty clear, probably Justin Steele, yeah. right? Uh, after that, how do you see this rotation filling out? And I know it doesn't really matter if Emanaga is slotted in at number two or number three, or if Hendricks is number four, or number five, they're going to get the same number of appearances, but there's so much weight put into this. So how do you see it from one to five? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, the thing that I like about this rotation is I like the depth. I like the balance. Um, you know, what we saw from Wicks last year, um, you know, gives you a pretty good indication that he's got a chance to be, you know, a good solid contributor. Um, you know, probably you think about splitting up, you know, go left, right, left, right. You yeah. know, um, I think that probably is, is what council might consider. Again, I don't know how much of an impact that has. Uh, I don't think it matters a whole lot who's number two, who's number four. Um, but, you know, off the top of my head, I would say maybe Justin, then Jamison Tyone, then Imanaga, then Kyle, and then then Jordan if he's he's five. And I don't want to rule out Assad or Hayden Wisniewski or anybody else who, who might be in the mix uh, for a spot in that rotation. I think there's going to be some competition in spring training. I don't think, um, aside from the, the first four that I mentioned, uh, I don't think anything is guaranteed in, in terms of who's going to make starts. Do you expect to see the second half Jamison Tyon for all of 2024? I sure hope so. Um, you know, um, I, I, he's a really interesting, really smart guy, and uh, I enjoyed getting to know him a little bit last year. I love the accountability when he was scuffling. Um, you know, he, he wasn't hiding behind excuses. Uh, even It was funny, even when he started to turn it around, we had him on – one of the game, you know, we had him mic'd up in the dugout and uh, he said, he, we were talking about his previous start and he said something along the lines of, yeah, I was lucky. I gave up a ton of hard contact. So he's very aware, right? He, yeah. And and when he was, a lot of a lot of the struggles early, he was very unlucky. Batting average on balls in play was, was sky high. There was soft mm-hmm. contact. There was a lot of defensive mistakes behind him. And that can snowball on you as a pitcher. So um, when things you know, when you're, you're going through a patch of bad luck you can get in your head a little bit and things can go from bad to worse until you, you, you manage to turn things around. Um, he reminded me last year, a lot of a, of a guy in, in, in golf who, you know, there's sometimes that psychological turning point when you make the turn and you have a really tough front nine, but something clicks when you make the turn and he made the turn and was really good. Uh, the stuff plays, um, you know, whether he'll be as good all year as he was in the second half of last year, I don't know. But I suspect the overall body of work uh, next year will be better uh, than, than what it was this year. He was on the Foul Territory podcast, and he was talking about that, where it was like, he, you know, the data and the analytics and the spin rates, it's all great information, but sometimes you can overanalyze it. And he goes, I just went out there one day and said, I'm just going to do what feels right. And that was the game in New York when he went eight innings. I think it was either no runs or one run. And he said that was kind of the turning point for him that something clicked because he stopped looking at the data and he just stopped, started feeling. Yeah. Uh, You have to, sometimes you just have to go out and compete. Yeah. uh, Because you can, you can get bogged down. And I pitched in an era where we didn't have all the information that we have now, but you you, you can get in your own head sometimes. Um, I had a, a teammate, uh, you're probably familiar with Rex Hudler, who oh, yeah. <laughs> Hud does uh, TV now for the Royals. And uh, he was, I came up in the, through the minor leagues with him. And uh, I was pitching in Houston. He was playing for the Cardinals and we had lunch and I was going through a real rough patch. And uh, he's very excitable. And Hud was like, Jimmy D, 
He goes, you got to be a predator out there. He goes, right now you're the prey. You know, you, we can see it in your body language. We can see it just in everything, the way you're going about it out there. You, you look like the prey. You have to become the predator. You have to mm. kind of, you know, sometimes psych yourself up, just talk, talk yourself, get, get into a different uh, mindset where you, you become a, a little bit more aggressive and, and a little more athletic and just challenge hitters and, and try to get after them without being so thoughtful. Sometimes the brain gets in the way of the body. I can see him saying that he's from my hometown, Fresno. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. I want to talk about two guys and then I want to get to our rapid fire segment here. So you mentioned Imanaga earlier. They're calling him the throwing philosopher, which is really interesting. We have the professor and the throwing philosopher all in one rotation. So I'm yeah. interested to see this, but what are you most excited to see from Imanaga? Um, you know, just, you know, the little bit of video I've seen and uh, um, what I've heard, what people have told me about him, uh, this guy's legit, uh, right? He's he's not going to blow you away with 96, but he's got a fastball that plays four seamer that works up in the zone. The splitter is is a really good offering, as is a breaking pitch, a slider, um, and he's a strike thrower. Um, it'll be an adjustment uh, for sure, uh, but but uh, I think he's got a chance to be a, a really good major league starting pitcher from from what I you know what I've heard. Um, and, you know, how about his introductory press conference oh, when he's so saying cool. go Cubs go, right? I mean, <laughs> you get a little insight into the personality. Yeah. He's not a kid either, right? He's like 30. So, you know, he's he's pitched for a few years um, and he's not he's not a kid. So, uh, and the fact that Suzuki's here, I think that will help both of them to have a, a fellow Japanese player on the club. Um, so, you know, he might hit the ground running. He might be really good from the get-go. I was really surprised in that press conference that he said he didn't, confide in Suzuki when he was going to make his decision, but he was one of the first calls that he did make after making the decision to come to the Cubs. Uh, because yeah, just like what you said, right. You think, Hey, someone from my home country and I, you know, can probably get adjusted a little bit easier with him. But that was, that was interesting to me. Did that strike you at all? Yeah. No, I didn't, I didn't really give it a whole lot of thought, but what I, what I found interesting, I didn't realize he was here. Um, this offseason for a good yeah. chunk, right? His agent is here. So he was in Chicago working out and he got to know the city a little bit. So I think that was a huge advantage for the Cubs that he, he felt comfortable here. And so, you know, going through the process of meeting with clubs, uh, I think uh, he had already kind of warmed up to Chicago, which is ironic to warm up to Chicago in the dead of winter. But, <laughs> but, I, but I think, I, I think he, he liked the idea of playing here in Chicago. I don't, I don't know, you know, where he was in terms of who he talked to, um, what other Japanese players he might have had contact with, or you know, and maybe he didn't, maybe he just didn't want to have input. Mm -hmm. You know, he wanted to make that decision on his own and not not get skewed by somebody uh, outside of his agent. If you're living in Chicago for a full December and still want to be there afterward, that's your your soul. Yeah, yeah, you're in. yeah. Hey, Cade Horton. A uh, lot of fans are excited to see him. I've even heard as early as May and June, which is just wild to think based on the trajectory of where he's been able to progress through the minors Cubs fans though. And really a lot of fans today are really good at putting out a ton of pressure on young guys and expecting them to be saviors. You know, he's got great stuff, but can we really legitimately see him making a huge, not just an, an impact, but a huge impact on the 2024 season. Like some Cubs fans are starting to think. Yeah. Um, I, I possible. Um, you know, I, I, I have not seen him pitch. Um, obviously the reports are great. Um, and that's where, you know, as an organization, you have to know your guys better than anybody else. Right. So what's the maturity level? 
how does the stuff play? Because um, you can dominate minor league hitters with stuff, but at this level, you have to know how to pitch. Um, so what's the pitchability? Uh, fastball command, pitch sequencing, you know, where's he at and all those, you know, and all those areas of his development. Um, if he checks all those boxes, um, you know, then I'm all in if there's a need, if, whether it's competing for a spot in spring training or somebody goes down or, you know, you need somebody to, to, to fill in during the season for a stretch of time. Uh, if he checks those boxes, I'm in. I, I say, why wait? Um, but again, I, I don't know uh, the organizational, you know, how they view him right now, just in terms of, of whether he's, uh, you know, ripe or not. A lot of exciting young talent for sure. Uh, JD, are you ready for our 27th out rapid fire segment? I am. Right. How, how much time do I have? For oh, we're not going to put you on a time limit. We <laughs> just like have some fun here. So, uh, you know, <laughs> I'll tell you this. When I had Boog on the show, uh, he ended up telling about a three-minute story of him and Tori Lavelle, which you probably have heard uh, and during the rapid fire segment. So if something good comes to mind, go for it. <laughs> Sound good? That sounds like boo. Yes, yeah. it does. <laughs> awesome. Okay. Hey, what has been your most memorable moment since joining the Cubs broadcast booth? Uh, World Series Parade 2016, for sure. Mm. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Anything stand out in particular? Well, I just, I mean, that whole thing, right? Winning the World Series, Game 7 in Cleveland. Um, um, you know, just the way it all went down was, was insane. And then just... You know, I'm, I'm kind of a cynic, and you know, so at the parade, I was like, "Yeah, this will be fun." But I, I man, I was, I was just, I, I was losing my mind, just waving to the fans. Waving, and just and there were so many people out there, right? And there was so much energy, and you could, you could just see the the reaction from the fans. And um, flashback to uh, the pennant clincher against the Dodgers. Yeah, I was in the stands for that game. As you oh know, we don't get to broadcast the TV guys; right. we don't get to televise. So I was in the stands with my family. And uh, that game is, 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 is ending, and there's a family in front of me, uh, like two, two, three generations, and there was a woman probably in her 40s, and she's got her cell phone out, and she's got it turned on herself, and she's got tears streaming down her face. Oh and she's like, God. the Cubs are going to the World Series. And it was just, it was, you know, the emotion was just, cool. it was amazing. And it was like, that, that, that sticks out, and then obviously the World Series. That's awesome. Okay, hey, what? Cubs player next year that's coming up, not named Cade Horton, not named Pete Crow Armstrong. Are you most looking forward to seeing making their MLB debut? Um, well, Brown, Ben Brown uh, comes to mind. Um, he'd be a guy that um, I'm anxious to, to, to watch in spring training and, and to see what, what happens with him going forward. I don't know. Will Casey be here next year? I don't know. Will Casey, does he have a shot to be on the club? I don't know. Uh, Alcantara's, you know, probably a year away, but maybe, you know, if things happen quickly, um, you know, I, I, he's, he's a guy that gets your attention. Even when you walk in the clubhouse and you look across the room and you see that big kid, uh, the athleticism, the strength, um, I, I doubt that there'll be much of an impact if, if he gets to the big leagues at all next year, but, but he's a guy obviously worth keeping an eye on. On a scale of one to 10, one being the least likely, 10 being the most likely chances that PCA is crowned rookie of the year in 2024. Well, that's a real hard thing to win. Um, so, you know, 
obviously he's a great prospect and would I, I wouldn't sell him short. He's got a chance. Let's put it at a five. You know, he's got to go up against Imanaga. Maybe Imanaga is the rookie of the year or, yeah. or uh, Yamamoto out there in Los Angeles. Oh, yeah. that, that would be the odds on favorite, right, off, off the top of my head. Uh, but, yeah, let's not sell PCA short. Um, and a lot depends, too, on opportunity. Uh, Absolutely. You know, if, if Belly comes back, things get a little crowded out there and, you know, uh, <clears throat> he might not get the at-bats. Uh, that he would otherwise. Do you think Justin Steele has the chance to be even better than 2023 here in 2024? Yeah, uh, for sure. Um, I think most models project a little regression because he was so good last year and it's really hard to be that good uh, year after year. But does he have a chance to be? For sure. Uh, he's, he, he knows how to pitch. He's learned how to you know, attack with basically that two pitch mix. I know he's talked about working with on a changeup this off season, um, but I don't know that he needs it a whole lot. I mean, if he continues to do what he did last year, the hitters don't seem to be able to make an adjustment to it. Um, he certainly could put up better numbers. If the season were to start today, no Bellinger on the team. Uh, first base is a big question mark. Who do you think is most likely to be penciled in over there? Is Mervis given another shot? Is Bush the guy? Does Morell get a shot over at first base? Patrick Wisdom. Who do you think is the guy? I think Bush is the guy. From from what I heard from Jed and Carter, I think I think Bush is the guy, um, unless Belly's back. Cool. Uh, I want to have a little bit of fun. I'm wearing an obvious shirt. Greatest game ever played was on a Wednesday in Cleveland. What's your favorite obvious shirt that you've seen at the ballpark? Well, I got to go with quality baby. I mean, uh, you got you to go with the quality baby. Um, that, that's, that's my baby. Um, and then, you know, uh, Joe's been kind enough to make Boog a couple of, you know, specially curated ones of the dumb stuff we say. So I've got one that says mildly egregious and, you know, borderline <laughs> clever, you know. So. That's a good one. I yeah. like it. Hey, JD, if a movie was made about you today, who would you want playing you as the lead character? Well, we all want Tom Hanks, right? I mean, oh, yeah. everybody loves Tom Hanks. So who yep. would want to be portrayed by Tom Hanks? Uh, failing if Tom's not available, I don't know. Jeff Daniels, he, he seems like he'd be a, a good like guy. Um, and, you know, because of this, you know, maybe Stanley Tucci. <laughs> there you go. I like it. Good. Hey, I got to end with you and I share a very favorite show, Seinfeld. What's your favorite episode or favorite line from Seinfeld? You know, my favorite episodes, are the, I love the absurdity uh, of, yeah. of, of some of the, you know, when uh, when, when Kramer, uh, he, he got this, like the set from the Merv Griffin show and he was hosting a talk show in his apartment. Um, yes. I, I love that goofy stuff. Um, <laughs> Bubble Boy, you know, yeah. the, the whole Bubble Boy bit um, uh, was really good. So I don't know that I have a favorite episode, but it's, it's the characters, it's so many of those, you know, side characters, the Mandelbaums and the, uh, you know, oh the God. soup Nazi and, and all that, that makes, that makes that show so special. Do you, do you have a favorite? Do you have a favorite show? Uh, you know, the one that comes to mind for an episode was the movie phone one. Remember oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. after the tone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know what you press. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then yeah. the line that sticks out is she ate her peas one pea at a time. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> That's a good one. It's, yeah. Um, Mr. Pitt, you know, cutting up the Snickers oh, yeah. bar. I mean, it's, oh, yeah. Yeah. It's all For great. Sure. Yeah. Hey, I'll end it with the, uh, the last question here. A lot of fans, it was funny when I put this out there that I was in the interview, and a lot of fans, their number one question was, what was it like transitioning from working with Len 
to Boog. I thought that was interesting. I would love to know your take. Yeah, um, smooth, easy. Um, I, I mean, uh, when Len told me he was leaving, um, I was shocked, um, mm. but very happy for him. He wanted to be a radio guy and kind of yeah. be the voice of a team. Um, and then when we hired Boog, uh, Len and Boog have been friends for a long, long time. And, and uh, you know, Len told me, you're going to love working with Boog. You guys are going to be great together. You're going to have a lot of fun. And he was right. Uh, and I, I think uh, the transition was was really, at least for me, uh, whatever the viewers probably have their own opinion, but for me, it was it was really easy. Uh, Boog's a pro's pro. Um, he loves having fun at the ballpark. That's what I'm all about. Um, he does insane amounts of homework, as, as Len did, so he's ultimately prepared. I've been lucky throughout my broadcast career. Uh, all the years I was down in Houston, I worked with a guy by the name of Bill Brown, who was just rock solid. And it's the same way with Len and Boog. I know that if I say – Hey, you know, what, what's this? They're going to have the answer. If I, you know, some guy gets called up from double a for, yeah. for, you know, the Rangers. And I say, I don't know this guy that they're going to know they'll, they'll have something on. Them. Um, so that, that makes my, my job that much easier. Hey, Jim Deshays, this has been a total pleasure, total joy. Uh, you are an awesome human being and I love listening to you on marquee uh, calling the Cubs game. So thank you so much for joining us here on the setup, man. And uh, giving us a little bit of an insight on what you think the Cubs offseason has looked like. All right, Kyle. Great. Great to be with you, man.